Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Mavens Havens podcast. Today, I am joined by Mark Alford, all the way from the United Kingdom. He is a co-founder at Managed Language, um, which is a you know pretty straightforward name. has to do with um, language interpretation and marketing, and I will we will get into what that is in a second. Uh, first, I just want to point out this episode is brought to you by Vibal Energy Tea, bringing you vibes, balance, and plenty of energy through lots of caffeine. Mark, thank you so much for joining me today. Really, really glad to have you on. Thank you, Eric. I'm, I'm very glad to be here. It's a very exciting opportunity. I, I'm really pleased to uh, be with you. Excellent. So yeah, kind of like I was alluding to before, I'd really like to talk about your company and what it is you guys do. So as I understand it, you know, it's a marketing solution that's that is able basically trying to help companies bridge the gap um, in new foreign markets they're trying to break into. And, um, you know, a piece of that is, uh, of course, you know, putting their marketing content in the the native language of the companies they're trying to get into, but taking it a step further as well um, by adding in things like colloquialisms and nuances of the native speakers. Um, So like, you know, uh, an English company going into Paris might want their uh, marketing copy to sound like how a Parisian would talk. It's just kind of an, uh, just something I kind of thought of that um, might be what you guys have in mind, but it's your company and we're here to hear, we're here to hear you talk about it. So why don't you take it from the top and tell me kind of what it yeah, is so you guys do? That's a really uh, good uh, kind of overview of what we do. And, and I think really to that point, it would be great if I kind of explain the journey that we've been on as a company. Cause um, you know, one of the conversations that we're constantly having with, with new clients and, and existing clients is to get them to understand the difference between us and say what is called a, a language service provider because um, it's quite a, a tenuous position in terms of the difference between what we do and what a translation business will do. But in a nutshell, what we really are about is activation. So what does that mean and how does that look? So if you look at a typical engagement that we'll have with a brand, you know, the first thing we'll do is a deep dive based on their brand messaging, the tonality, what their intention is and what their brand values are. But most importantly, what those values and how those values communicate in another language. And if you take, for example, Nike, just do it, that's very, very simple, but just do it in German doesn't work. Because the concept of just do it, what, you know, I'm sorry, you can't even say that in German, let alone just do it. So in German, just do it is used because it resonates as a Nike brand message but it actually has no meaning. And that's a really interesting point. I see, okay, all right. Uh, where, have you been working with uh, Nike to read Yeah, we've, we've worked on Nike, we've worked on Reebok, we've worked on Puma, we've worked on quite a few of those kind of sports brands, including golf brands like TaylorMade, Callaway, uh, and also Titleist. So we've got some really good insights into the market language, and more importantly, the cultural positioning in terms of how you communicate that messaging and then it really gets down to when you you know when you boil it down into the real content and the context of that content what works in that market language what resonates and we'll go right the way through to seo pay-per-click and also the uh, the full metadata position based on how you rank and are found in those markets based on search based on content 
Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, I appreciate you, uh, you know, telling me about some of the clients you have and um, a little bit about the work. I'd be more curious to maybe uh, go a bit deeper into how you actually kind of bridge that gap, um, you know, between your clients and the markets uh, they're trying to get into kind of like the just do it with uh, Nike. But um, are you able to talk maybe a, a little bit more about like specific examples of how yeah. you help? Yeah. Yes. And I mean, you know, a really good uh, case in point would be Go Cardless. So Go Cardless is a, a UK based company and it's all about uh, effectively electronic payments. And the idea behind their, their, their platform is that once you have a Go Cardless payment position, you basically send a Go Cardless transaction, which is electronic. People signed up to it, and then, then it's an electronic payment. Now, in Germany, the average credit card debt is around about 700 euros. So card and credit card is not big in Germany. So when we did the content and did the content development for the German market, we talked about electronic and not cards because credit cards are not well accepted and well liked in the German market. But the go cardless proposition still works because it's an electronic payment. I see. Gotcha. So, I mean, you guys, it's more than even just putting it um, in terms of understanding. You guys are really, uh, because of the vast cultural differences, uh, you really have to explain concepts to people, um, it sounds like, um, because, or kind of rephrase it for them in a way that yeah, resonates. Yeah, so it's a really good point, Eric. I'm glad you said that because... I was talking to a client this morning and, and, and she said to me, Mark, look, I, I, you sound like a really interesting business, but how could, how could you really give me, uh, like in, in, in a few words, what I can share with my board that's going to convince them that we should move to you from our existing provider? And I said, well, look, you know, in a nutshell, you know, and, and really to sum it up, if you look at our go-to, the first thing we'll do is a deep dive on any brand in the market. And we do that with our linguists in, in market. We get them to do the research. That has a double whammy because, number one, it teaches them the brand and it gets them to understand what those brand values are. But number two, it also gets them to understand from a business perspective what the brand is trying to achieve in that market. And then what we do is we report back on that and we say, look, your headlines will need to change to this. Your metadata and your SEO will need to change to this your keywords, and then more importantly, your attribution in terms of how you want that content to be found is going to need to be set up on this basis. And last but not least, this is your tone, this is your market language speak, and this is how your brand will resonate in this market. And that's a report. We do that. It's quite detailed. And it's kind of like, does this work? If it doesn't work, why not? And tell us. So we'll give back translation, we'll give comments, we'll give rationale, and we'll give them an understanding of what they're existing content looks like and why it's not good or if it is good why it's good and we'll tell them why because obviously we're not interested in in, in saying that all your content's rubbish that's not good what we're interested in is making sure that if it's good it continues to be good and if it's not good we fix it and we make it right gotcha okay yeah i mean pretty straightforward but also very valuable and a lot more substance there than like a lot of marketing which is you know pretty colors and you know ux design and stuff like that i mean i'm i'm not a, i'm not i don't know that much about marketing but it does sound like you guys are really um you know providing a whole nother layer of value that a lot of other companies don't yeah well to that point you know when you look at cultural communication and and more importantly uh, market acceptance um you know language if you think about logic is the last barrier to market and so you've got both spoken you've got written and you've got heard 
So when you when you look at video or if you look at podcasts or if you look at any form of content dissemination based on a brand opportunity and a brand determination in a language market, language is the last barrier. And it can alienate as quickly as it can enroll. So if you use the wrong terminologies, the wrong tone of voice, the wrong type of content in, 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 in both written, spoken and heard, you can very quickly lose that market. Yeah, that's, um, you know, that's an excellent point. I mean, it's definitely, um, you're kind of dancing on a knife's edge there. I mean, even some, you know, countries that speak the same language, English, uh, you know, the United States, some common terms in uh, some, in one culture could be offensive in another. And if you're unaware of that, it's very easy, you know, I'm sure everyone has experienced or heard of, um, conflicts that have arisen from people of different cultures encountering each other that were totally innocuous. I mean, people didn't mean anything by it, but you, you say something the wrong way, you, you know, that was totally um, innocent and boom, you've got a problem. So um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, I, I hope at least a lot of companies are paying attention to that sort of thing. Um, well, th this is the, the elephant in the room, Eric, because when you, when you actually look at what, tends to happen um, is a brand will decide to go international and will decide to market into other country markets based on what works in their in their market and then the moment they make that determination there's a question that never gets asked and it's based around the marketing messaging the color the imagery and last but not least what the offer is because it worked in their market. So why would they worry? You know, this will work in France, this will work in Germany, it works in the, in the UK. The reality is that's not the case. So for example, you know, certain colors have to change in certain markets. You know, so, you know, in China, for example, red is a great color. It's not a very good color in Germany, you know? And then when you take the other side of it, imagery, you know, if you start putting out, you know, kind of very young, active people in certain markets in, the, in your imagery, that will alienate certain buyers. So you've got to look, think about that whole cultural piece based around not just imagery, color, and, and also the content, but how that all comes together as a design in terms of a delivery from the web page, the landing page, the email, right the way through to an out-of-home poster or even a, a press advert or, or, or a brochure. Everything needs to be looked at from that position in terms of that language market. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, you know, you had mentioned something a little while ago that I um, picked up on that I thought was interesting and wanted to ask you a bit more about. You had said a linguist in market, and I'm guessing these are, you know, native speakers or, um, you know, someone you work with that understands like the cultures you're trying to help um, companies uh, get into. Correct me if I'm wrong about that, but um, so yeah, can you tell me a little bit more about how it's, that works? It's what we call mobilization. And the way it works is that we will engage with a brand and we'll have a conversation with that brand about their market positioning and what they want to achieve in the target language markets they want to work in. And then we'll go to our, our, our resource in market. There'll be typically copywriters who have two languages, English and their mother tongue. And we'll ask them several very distinct questions. You know, what do you think of these brand values? What do you think of this messaging? What do you think of the brand and how it's been delivered already in that market? Because they'll typically have a presence. If they don't have a presence, they'll just research the UK or the, the local market site based on the fact that they already speak and read that language so they can understand it. 
And then they'll come back with a report based on the cultural positioning, what would work in that market, colorways, imagery, SEO, pay-per-click, the whole thing based on a holistic outlook where that brand can then get a feel for that market and then they can ask questions and we'll engage them with our writers. We're quite happy for that to happen because then they get real understanding and they can get real in-market feedback based on what they're trying to do. And then last but not least, we'll do test pieces to see if we can hit that mark. I see. So yeah, real, um, it, it seems like a real, uh, what's the word? I mean, you really dig deep and, um, you know, prove the concept, um, uh, yeah. you know. It's a crafted service, but, but the, the point is, and, and this is really to the, the issue, language is preferential. And if you take France as a target audience market, you've got French and then you've got Parisian French, but you also have a Marseille dialect. And so one French language doesn't actually fit all. And the Parisian French are quite elitist and, 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 and very, you know, oh, we're Parisian and that's great. And then the rest of France kind of look at Paris and go, do you know what? We don't like the Parisians. So there's, there's some challenges there based around that content, because if you're selling across the whole market in France, you've got to be very, very sympathetic of that language. Yeah, um, even, you know, that reputation um, the Parisians have um, and the rest of France's view on them is something even we here in the States uh, know about, or at least, I you know, that I've talked to people that, you know, have been to France or know people in France that know that's how it works there. And, uh, you know, the same, what you described would apply to, let's say, um, a UK company or a European company or whomever trying to break into the United States. It's much different talking to a Northeast United States person like myself than it is from someone from the Southeast or from from the west coast so um yeah those uh challenges i'm sure they can they're enormous and ubiquitous um basically anywhere a company tries to go well you know that, that's a great point eric because if you look at the american language and, and and you know american english as opposed to english english and and there are some quite marked differences in both intonation meaning and more importantly intent so when you look at some of the, the differences between the languages about, you know, he busted that, you know, well, you know, if you said he busted that in America, that's a really, you know, yeah, he's busted that ball. That's a really positive thing. You say busted in English, he's broken something. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and these are differences. So when you look at the social um, positioning uh, of content and how people read and, and understand propositions and, and hear and understand propositions, it's really about that intent. It's about the local, you know, as we say, we make your brand sound like a local. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I really appreciate you walking me through the journey and, um, you know, giving me the kind of top down uh, view of managed language. I am kind of curious, you know, along that journey, was there ever a moment or like a, I don't know, sequence of events where you were just like the light bulb turned on, you were kind of like, aha, like. Yeah, I mean. That's a great question. So, I mean, you know, to that point, I mean, how did we become who we are is a really good question. So once upon a time, we were actually a production company and we just happened to be very skilled at doing multilingual production. And we built systems and processes based around automation of, in, in back in the day, page building for print, InDesign and, and, and Quark Express. And what we had was a really good technology, but we also had great art workers who could do multilingual artwork 
Well, what happened was as we were moving further and further up the food chain with our technology, they were saying to us, look, guys, you're really good at doing this. Couldn't you do the translation as well? Couldn't you actually deal with that? So here we are dealing with really, really crafted marketing copy. And we're, we're now tasked with actually getting it translated. So, of course, our initial engagement was to actually go, right, okay, we've got to get this translated. Well, the moment we got the copy back, I'm sitting there going, this hasn't been translated. This, this, isn't, this isn't what this means. You know, this isn't, you know, the world is your oyster in Italian. This is actually saying, if you want to live like an oyster, this is what you do. I mean, that's, that's not good translation. That's terrible. And of course, the reality of the world of your oyster is that, you know, and, and, and the correct translation in Italian is in Bocca di Lupo, in the mouth of the wolf, is because Rome was thought to be the center of the world. The world is your oyster. Rome, Romulus and Remus, in Bocca di Lupo, brought up by wolves. That's where it came from. I love the historical reference. By the that, way. Yeah, but that's a true translation. So if you said in Italian, how do I say the world's your oyster? It's in Bocca di Lupo. In okay. the mouth of the wolf. So the world is your oyster and in the mouth. Of, I mean, that, you know, just as a native English speaker, these are two completely different things with completely unrelated concepts. And yet you have to, um, you know, equate them. And that's, and that's really how you help companies, um, you know, hone their marketing message by doing so. Yeah. True, true transcreation and true localization. Okay, yeah, no, that's 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 really cool. And I mean, given those vast differences you highlight, I mean, it's not hard to understand why companies not only struggle with this, but need someone and need a partner who can um, help them do it or do it for them, for sure. Um, I'm kind of, you know, curious, uh, Mark, about, well, I guess, you know, in doing so, in providing that value, what do you consider like some of the greatest challenges? Are they like technological? Is it, you know, uh, is it in the linguistics of it all? I mean, it, it's, it's agility. I mean, the, 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 the problem that we've got in today's world is that language flexes and moves and it moves at a pace that is quite incredible. If you just look at one of our clients, which is UniDays, and UniDays is a, a student uni, a unity, sorry, a student community marketing platform. And the way it works is that they create what is called a tile and then a tile will have a boost on their platform. It's on their app. And you can then get student discounts for Nike, Meal Deals, Apple, you name it. And the way it works is that the students redeem those, those coupons, those vouchers, and they get that buy. And it works on a when it's gone, it's gone basis. So the, the client, the advertiser will pay £100,000 as a figure. And when that £100,000 has been spent based on redemption, it's gone. It's no longer there. So the students rush to get that. Now, what happens is, is across the language piece, and, and they're in 17 languages, the student language changes. So for example, in Germany, we've discovered that Germany use a mixture of formal German and slang English on the campus. So our linguists have to have an, a student age card carrying student who can check their copy. Oh, wow. It's just so layered and there's just, uh, you know, it, uh, it's just not something I think of, you know, just how how much how language is so amorphous at so many like micro levels. You know, I mean, you you, you want to sell something on a you know German campus. It never would have occurred to me. They're speaking a kind of like slang English, like you were saying. So it's yeah, like so now you've got to yeah, to that point. When you look at 
the whole point of feet on the ground, and, and that's really what we talk about, is mobilization. The moment you've got feet on the ground, you've got market intelligence. And as long as that market intelligence is corralled and, and more importantly, organized on the basis of understanding of cultural communication, where you've got the brand here that's got all of this tonality, the tone of voice, what they, their messaging is, what their value proposition is, all of those things that really matter to the brand, and then making sure that that messaging is correctly communicated in that target language, that's a really big challenge. Because language is incredibly preferential, and then on top of that, any international brand will have feet on the ground themselves. But of course, those people on the ground will not be experts in terms of communication. They'll be experts in their own language. And then everything becomes preferential. So when you get into that position, it's really about having an agile approach. So what we do is we give them three versions of everything that we do with explanation, comments, and rationale, so that when that gets into a review position, the, 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 the staff they have who are also in that market can understand how we develop that copy. I got, yeah, I mean, it sounds like, um, you, you know, you, you do have to account for a lot. I mean, these are people after all, they have their own biases, how um, the message may resonate with them personally and see it through that lens and then come back to you and say, this is how it needs to be based on their own um, experience. So you have to, um, you know, account for uh, the, the boots on the ground, so to speak, their own biases and, um, you know, the things they don't see or know, which uh, seems to provide a pretty significant challenge. It, it does. But but the, the process and the formality that we, we came to, and again, this is down the journey, this is the learning exercise that we've been through because because we came from a production environment where our only concern was right first time. Now, when you get into translation, right first time's really quite ephemeral. You know, can you do it? Can you actually get it right first time? And, and that really then comes down to the true understanding of the words. Now, if you look at how most people work in, in our industry, it's what we call language pair alignment. You have a set of languages that's in English, a set of languages in German, and they align based on that language. Well, when you get into creative, that doesn't work. You know, you can't align based on that creative conflict because it's the meaning and not the words. Okay. Ah, uh, gosh. Yeah. No, that's, um, I see what you mean. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's not just, a, you just can't be, you know, hyper literal. It's, uh, you have to account for a variety of meanings in different people's heads, essentially, which yeah. is, you know, when, when you remember how people see you is how they hear you. And when you think about language, it flexes and moves. But the other thing, it also changes by the language and how we speak. You know, so German is a very formal language, and it's also incredibly verbose. Roughly speaking, it's around about 44 to 45% more words than we would use in English. And then if you get into Italian, it's around about 38% more. And that means there's so many more moving parts based around what is actually being communicated. So more words saying less effectively. And I feel like people I know in the United States struggle with verbosity. I can only imagine what it would be like, uh, you know, trying to communicate in cultures where they speak more to say less. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and to that point, if you look at the Nordics, so for example, in Norwegian and Swedish and Danish, it's incredibly short copy, very, very inexact. 
You know, it'd be like um, if you buy this product, you might like it, but it would be a, it'd be a good thing to try, as opposed to hey, this is going to be great for you. You're going to love this. This is going to be fantastic. You 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 can't do that in the Nordic languages. Mm. Now, so okay, so we got two contrasting examples there. I mean, do you find either one of them, um, you know, the verbosity of like German, for instance, to be more challenging, or is it the um, you know the succinctness of let's say the Nordic languages? Well, the, the answer to that is no. I mean, there is easy. The, 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 the real truth of that position is, if you have a great writer in that market, you haven't got a problem. But if you've got terrible writers in that market, you've got a problem. It's really about, you know, like any business, we're only as good as our resource. Yeah, no, well said. Um, that, that answers the question pretty um, succinctly, I'd say. Uh, so, you know, I want to take a different tack and uh, talk more about you personally and your experience. I mean, was there ever like a time or, um, you know, an event or I, I guess, well, what I'm curious about is what kind of motivates you as an entrepreneur? I mean, why is this the path rather than like a typical career? Like, and, you know, was there a time where you learned that or did it just kind of happen? Um, I guess, yeah, you know, what, why is entrepreneurship your passion? Well, it's, I'm a disruptor. I've, I've been a disruptor all my life, and um, I like I like to disrupt. And if you look at what managed language does, it disrupts. It's uh, a very disruptive, very positive, but it's a very disruptive approach because if you look at uh, and, and to that point, you know, only last week I was in a conversation with a client, and the client said to me, "Look, um, we're, we're we're doing test pieces with you. We've done it with several other uh, agencies that we've we've contacted." We've got a problem. I said, well, what's the problem? They said, well, look, your copy doesn't align with the copy that, that has been supplied by the other agencies. They're, 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 theirs is faithful to our, our copy, and uh, yours isn't. I said, well, that's because we don't translate. We iterate, and we actually localize your content. So guess what? We didn't translate it. We localized it. And no, it won't align because that's not what we do. Yeah, and I mean, you just—it's kind of like as a client, why do you want us to just rewrite your own copy? I mean, what's what's kind of the point? You know, stick it in Google Translate or something, and <laughs> exactly. So, so you know, once they understood, and then when they saw the uh, the back translation, the comments, the rationale, once they understood what we'd done, they went with us because Makes what perfect sense. writing wasn't what they wanted. And they just needed someone to kind of open their eyes to that fact. They didn't really know it in and of themselves, I guess. Well, it, it, was, a, it was one of those kind of panacea moments, but, but in, you know, it, to the point, you know, disrupting, because if you look at, you know, the happenstance nature of, of, of the industry that we're in, and it's a massive business, it's, it's, it's nearly a 60 billion pound business, you know, in terms of the, the, the translation industry, and it's growing, and it will get bigger and bigger, because language is, is the last barrier to market. And as the, we've seen with COVID, the barriers to market have now come down. You know, if you've got an Amazon partnership, you can deliver anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's only, um, I mean, the, the, the growth prospects are undeniable. That's for sure. Um, yeah, and then it's all about the customer engagement, the customer journey, and then the delivery. And, and if you look at the opportunity in America, for example, to drop ship, where you could, for example, drop into Holland and then pick, pack, and ship from Holland using the Amazon network, there's nothing stopping you to launch in Europe. 
Yeah. You know, that kind of spurs a thought. Um, with all this opportunity, <laughs> naturally comes steep learning curves. And, um, you know, to put it, I guess, in uh, United Kingdom English, uh, the chance to bust a lot of things. Um, and as, uh, you know, I, we both know failure is can be a great teacher. I guess I'm kind of curious, you know, along the way, as you um, you know, take this disruptive new approach to translation. Are there things you've busted or kind of, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can, I, I can share with you, you know, because, um, you know, as my, um, one of the, my closest friends says, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. And then the other thing he says is that people who never made a mistake never made anything. So, you know, the mistakes that I've made, yeah, I, I went into a business a few years back. Um, I should never have gone into. I didn't know the business. I didn't understand it. I, I knew there was an opportunity. Um, we went from a standing start to 1.6 million pounds, which is around about two and a half, three million dollars. And from a standing start, we were over trading. We were technically insolvent, and the bank foreclosed on us. I personally lost a million pounds. Oh no! Oh, oh yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was wow. a lesson. And then separate to that, we recovered from that and uh, we picked ourselves up, dusted ourselves off, started all over again, um, got to a, a great position about um, uh, 12 years ago and then I got divorced. <laughs> and then suddenly, boom, start again. Wow, tumultuous series of events, that's for sure. That's right. Um, and, so, and so, you know, in answer to your question, yeah, I've, I've, I've had my ups and I've had my downs, but I think, you know, the, the reality is that I'm determined. You know, persistence, professionalism, and hard work are key to success, and that's me. Um, and as I said earlier, I'm a disruptor. I like to disrupt. I've, I've been disrupting all my career. Everything I've ever done was disruptive. I started my life in free newspapers, uh, and we were launching up against the paid-fors in the UK. And by the end, by the time I left that industry, we had destroyed the paid-for industry. It was all free. Um, and uh, I then went into and worked for Apple, and I was introducing desktop publishing into companies using Apple computers. Uh, that's disruptive. And now today, I'm introducing a whole different way of delivering culturally correct communication across a piece of services where anyone and everyone can sound like a local. So along that journey, um, you know, you mentioned with the failure of the business, losing money, the divorce, all that. You did say there was like a big lesson in there. Can you uh, touch on that a bit more? I mean, what do you yeah, really yeah. Like? So, so what, what I said was, you know, the lesson I learned was, 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 was number one, you know, no matter how bad it is, if you're still alive, you're okay. You know, if, it's, if you haven't got cancer, you're not terminal, you're okay. You know, that's uh, that's a great bit of perspective from someone who, you know, based on everything you told me, has definitely lost, but you managed to keep a level head. And it definitely, um, you know, when I'm uh, dealing with the stress and difficulty of it to keep to keep grounded, to remind myself that it's actually not that bad. Um, the fear and anxiety is largely in your head. Um, and I guess I'm curious to know, I, I, you, I'm sure you've experienced a lot of like anxiety and stress having worked in multiple businesses and dealt with such, um, you know, uh, tumultuous life events. I mean, what's your way of like coping and uh, dealing with those so, issues? So, well, three things. One, one, I meditate. Um, meditation, I meditate every day. That's a really big thing. Two, I read. Um, reading stuff and, and, and learning is really powerful in terms of calming the mind and keeping you on a level plane and, and three, I exercise, you know, and, and I play golf, you know, golf is my real escape, but, but you, 
you really need to get a work-life balance and especially in COVID times because we find ourselves working more and more and more because we never go out and uh, we, 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 it's so easy just to sit at the computer and do something because it's there and the discipline is to to really make sure that you have a time frame that you work to you invest that time that you've got where it matters with your family and your friends and and, and in relaxation and last but not least in order to stay absolutely clear and present to what you're doing is just to really have a very simple and determined approach to what you're trying to achieve with the people you're trying to achieve it with and for. Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's a great, um, it's a great bit of advice there. Uh, you know, you mentioned work-life balance, which is all, uh, something I ask a lot of my um, interview subjects. Uh, it's always top of mind for people who are maybe concerned about getting into entrepreneurship or people who already have. Um, and, you know, it's difficult to achieve because the call of the business is always kind of there pulling you back. Um, I guess, how do you, um, you know, what are some of your tips or pieces of advice around actually maintaining work-life balance? So for me, it's, it's, as I said earlier, you know, it's, it's, it's meditation, it's, it's relaxation in terms of, you know, exercise and, and, and golf is a, is a great escape. But, but then the other thing, reading, you know, is, is also a brilliant um, opportunity because, you know, when you read anything, that in itself is an escape, you know, a great book or, you know, getting lost in a, a really good understanding of how somebody else did something that you've never done before. Um, you know, there's a great book that I, I read quite a lot, which is Competing for the Future, which is a, a, a brilliant book based around how, you know, you can create your future. Google is a great example. Amazon's another. You know, before Amazon came along, there wasn't another Amazon. You know, before Google came along, there wasn't another Google. You know, Facebook as, as well, you know, they created their future. Mm. And I think that's really something that we could all aspire to because... Although competition is good for business, being a first among equals is nowhere near as good as being the only one. Yeah. Then, uh, as we as we were saying, the world is really your oyster, or um, what was the Italian equivalent? Um, in the, the, mouth of the, lupo. the mouth of the wolf, right? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, no, solid advice. I appreciate that. Um, I guess, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious what's sort of on the horizon. And by that, I mean, um, challenges and concerns. So like, you know, what, is there anything that like keeps you up at night and makes you think this is yeah, yeah. My, all go wrong? My, my, my biggest concern, the thing that really does keep me awake at night is the scalability of what we do, because the problem with, as I said earlier, you know, we're only as good as our resource. And when you look at the market that we're in, as it grows, as it expands, the capacity doesn't increase. You know, there are only so many in the market. There's not an infinite resource that's out there that you can just grab hold of. So that's one of the things I, I worry about. The second thing I worry about is succession planning. Uh, the, the ability for me to find someone to replace what I do, who, are, who can do what I do and learn and be who I am. That's a really big challenge. And then the, the, the last thing, and, and not the least, that, that really does concern me, you know, from a, a purely personal point of view, is, is, is actually the communicating of what we do and how we do to everyone that needs to know. Because in a fast-paced, agile environment, you're moving so quickly, you leave people behind. And the problem with that is that you're always trying to catch up. And when you're playing catch up, you're always going to be behind. 
Mm. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, it all, it does is compound the amount of work you need to do. Um, so that, that, that definitely follows, um, you know, you mentioned succession. Are you considering stepping away soon? Is that why that's kind of front of mind? Well, you know, any, any business that doesn't have a succession plan and isn't organized to deliver continuity of business is not a business. It's just a lifestyle. Okay. That's a, that's a, you know, that's a good quote. I think I'm going to use that, but um, it's not in any, not for any particular event, but for the fact that something could always happen and you uh, don't want the rug pulled out from underneath you, so to speak. Yeah. If you look at any SME, any, you know, entrepreneur, the, the first job of a good manager is to replace himself, to make himself redundant. And the only way you can do that is through succession planning. You know, utopia for any business is having staff who know what they're doing, know how to do it, and are doing it all day, every day. That's a happy life. That's a happy company. And that's what we should all aspire to. Sure sounds like a happy company. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, I also wanted to go back to, you know, what you were talking about uh, with the, the resources, right? I mean, that's like, I don't want to be too dramatic, but it sounds like it's kind of the Achilles heel. And like you said, there's only so many people who can do this. So I guess what's, uh, you know, what do you have in mind to address that challenge and overcome it? Well, that's a, that's a great question. So in, in answer to that, and, and, and very simply, you know, it really comes down to two things, right? One, grow your resource. And two, find a way of working in market where people only have one language. Okay, gotcha. That uh, that sounds like that's a, that second one sounds like a big undertaking. I don't know uh, how you'll do it, but I I wish you all the success well, in the world. We, we've we've got clever plans and cunning tricks, but 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 the reality is that that you know one of the wonderful things about Google is Google Translate. So what Google Translate provides us with it is the ability to brief in any language and more importantly to give an understanding in any language based on a very simple buddy system. So what we can do is we can give a non, a single language copywriter a brief based on English copy to say German. We can then put a German buddy with that, that, that writer she can then explain or he can explain the differences, the nuances based on that language, and then they can do the copy. So you, you're basically, it sounds like using resources to cultivate more resources, basically. Well, yeah, but if you look at it, there are more people with just German than there are people with German and English. Naturally, yeah, uh, that makes sense. So I, 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 I'm getting an understanding of how that might work. Um, appreciate you elaborating for me. Um, you know, I just have one more question really, Mark, before we wrap up. I mean, is there anything, you know, I haven't asked you about uh, managed language that you think we should have talked about or that you want to mention at all? No, not really. I mean, the, the, the only thing that I think um, I would share here and now, you know, from a, an entrepreneur point of view is that, is that, you know, one of the mistakes that I made and I, and I, and I still do, and, and, and it's a very difficult habit to break, is, is the true art of, well, you know, that, that saying, if you love someone, set them free. You've got to let people screw up. You've got to let them fail. And that's the hardest thing to do. Let people bust things. So, yeah. 
Well, because like we were talking about before, I mean, failure, busting things, that can be a great uh, learning experience. And, um, you know, I, I, to your point, you know, you don't set them free to succeed if you don't set them free to fail as well. I mean, they've got to, you know, freely get there on their own. So um, I think that's an excellent bit of parting advice. Mark, um, thank you so much again for joining me today. Really enjoyed talking to you and learning more about managed language. And I am really excited to see everything you guys go on to accomplish. Well, Eric, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Till next time. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Podcast highlights. Mark's entrepreneurial journey. 1.52 What is managed language and what brought Mark here? 4.32 Some examples of managed languages clientele and the value the company brings. 11.20 The resources managed language uses and how they create the native sounding content clients require. 15.25 The moment of discovery that lead to managed language. 18.25 Mark and managed languages greatest challenges and how they overcome them. 25.22 Mark's passion for entrepreneurship and where it comes from. 28.28 Failures made and lessons learned. 31.32 Coping with stress and anxiety. 33.05 How to balance work and life. 34.41 Mark's biggest fear as an entrepreneur.